This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, Today we're starting a two-part series on money. And whenever you talk about money in church, the attitude is typically, yes! (laughs) Woo! Who's excited to talk about money? That's the 830 was 830 was pumped about money. Who wants to talk about money? Oh, never mind. I, I will. We'll get there at some point. So uh, so this week we're going to talk about money and relationships. We're going to talk about how to have the conversation. And as I've learned in going through thriving in love and money with Jeff and Shanti Felhan, that uh, it's a difficult conversation for most couples to have. But how can we do that well? And then next week we're going to talk about stewardship. We're going to look at generosity, contentment. Uh, and how to make sure we live every day in our relationship with God, knowing that we are not owners of anything, but we are stewards of what he has given us. And we're going to talk even about cheerfulness in uh, how we give. And then after that, we're going to launch into a series called Armor, uh, starting off in the fall, where we'll be looking at Ephesians 6 and walking through the armor of God. But today's a special day for our church as we kick this off. Um, I've been waiting for a long time to have uh, these friends of our church and uh, ministry here with us today. They're social researchers, uh, but they are two people who I can tell you have been a great blessing to Amy and I over the years, but they have also been uh, a huge blessing to the body of Christ, and uh, we are grateful to have them today. Would you give a nice, warm Woodland Hills welcome to our friends Jeff and Shanti Felhan? Welcome. Glad you're here. I have to start uh, with my favorite joke at date night comedy events and, and conferences. I, I love to say uh, there's two topics couples struggle to talk about, and that's sex and money. And I said, and so Amy and I, we didn't talk about either for the first seven years of marriage. And, um, but I, and I, so this is my favorite joke. I, I say... But seven years into marriage, one night, my wife was in bed reading a book on how men think. It's not a real thick book. Uh, You can read it in about a night. Well, guess what? The author of that book that I am referring to is in the house today, Shanti Feldhahn, Four Women Only. (laughs) And it's uh, like, you know, you pour your heart out to couples at events, and you're like, oh, they're going to come up and ask great questions. But the number one question I get asked at events is, hey, what book was Amy reading about how men think? It is Four Women Only by Shanti Feldhahn. And it's about how men are turned on visually, but a lot more than that. Just what a great book. And I talk about, you know, Amy was reading this book. And I remember as she was reading it, she turned the pages. She was getting more and more mad. And she was, I mean, just, and I, would, and I was in the fetal position on this side of the bed, not really wanting to know what. And so... We were going to talk about this book today, but I said, no way. We're going to talk about thriving in love and money because money is a lot easier to talk about than what this book discussed. But then Jeff and Shanti wrote for men only, and I am a 100% endorser and fan uh, of those two books because you know at this church, and until the Lord calls me home or he returns, we will celebrate the created differences between men and women. And... uh, put that finger just for the camera. We will, and will always. So, but we're not here to talk about that today. We'll bring you back to talk about that. Uh, we'll see how the money thing uh, goes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
But you wrote the book, Thriving in Love and Money, and this is like a key uh, study for us moving into the fall to help couples, families, individuals, singles have conversations about it. But here's where we're starting. We've been taught for years uh, the habits for handling money. So budgets, uh, you know, be, be wise with debt, avoid unnecessary debt. Some of you go so far as envelopes, and you were taught that in premarital counseling. you got to have envelopes and the cash. You know, only use cash. Don't use debit cards. Well, the next generation, they're not using cash. So we learned all these habits, but you're not here today to talk about habits. You're here today to talk about the heart behind how we handle money. Yeah, we ended up um, in this study because, you know, we're social researchers and trying to understand all these things that matter in our lives. And realizing that there is something far, far more fundamental running under the surface of all of that technical stuff that we tend to talk about when you talk about money. And it it turns out that um, there's a host of expectations and there's a host of worries and fears. There's all this stuff running under the surface and dealing with the technical stuff, we often don't ever get to it. Because we can't deal with all that stuff underneath it first. Mm. We, we actually, in our lives, unfortunately, are probably the... Are we the poster child I, I, for... I we are the poster children <laughs> for this. One is, you don't want us giving advice on the technical stuff. <laughs> you really, really don't. Because, you know, quite frankly, after all of the research on relationships that we had done over the years... This was the one area that we weren't on the same page together. So why money? Why did you jump into money? Well, there's actually, I'll give you the short version of a total long God story. But we had actually been praying for years as to what our next research project was supposed to be. And, and I should explain, these research projects are expensive because we do these massive nationally representative studies. And so they're like $100,000. Like, it's really expensive. And we didn't know where the money was going to come from. Are we going to be able to do research anymore? And we got a call out of the blue from an organization actually that I think operates in this area called Thrivent. Thrivent. Okay. We we hadn't heard of them because we're in Atlanta. They didn't operate in the southeast at that time. And they said basically, you know, we know that money is a big issue in marriage. We don't think it has to be. How would you feel about making this your next research project and us funding it? Yes. And, and, well, and, and honestly, I hate to say it, the first thought was, oh, wow, God, you're amazing. And then the next thought was, oh, no. <laughs> because we could not. This was, like Jeff said, the one area well, that we well, couldn't talk about. The fact of the matter is, what we did was what we found in the research, what most couples do. We just avoided the topic altogether in our relationship. We learned kind of how to manage around it, how to cope. But it certainly couldn't have been characterized, at least in our relationship, as a point of connection <laughs> and a point of how to thrive in our relationship. Yeah. It wasn't that at all. Well, and here's the thing. Some of you probably... How many of you sort of think of yourselves as being money people? Come on, you can raise your hand. There's a few of you. There's okay. five people. There's five people. I, 
And see, we kind of think you're mutants, <laughs> those of you who are sort of, yeah, we talk about, we have weekly budgeting meetings, and, you know, this is awesome. We love talking about it. And here's the, here's the good news. Somebody, he's pointing, pointing at my wife somebody. Okay, yeah. <laughs> here's the good news, though, is that, honestly, for people like us, this is the majority. It's not just that we are somehow broken and defective or you're broken and defective if you can't. It turns out that only 23% of couples can talk about money well. 77% can't talk about money well. Mm. And here's the other thing. You said you guys in this church, you do a lot of Dave Ramsey classes, right? Yeah, we have passionate Dave Ramsey followers. Passionate. Who's a passionate, passionate Dave, Dave Ramsey, Ramsey follower? follower? Can I Who's see a your passion? Hands? It's okay. You can raise your hands. You're allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They don't want to and, be called out. Well, <laughs> but no, it's wonderful. four envelopes sticking out of his it's... pocket. Over there. <laughs> the people... <laughs> People who are the passionate Dave Ramsey followers, and those of you who are facilitators, thank you, by the way, for what you do. But what we found is only 23% of people can talk about money. Guess who tends to go to the Dave Ramsey classes? The 23%. Yeah. It's the people who can already feel kind of comfortable. And so we found that for a lot of people, that's step two. Step Mm. one is to recognize that if you're having any kind of tension or you're not connecting or you're not really, you're kind of avoiding it around money, it's not about the money. It turns out the, the found fundamental kind of summary of this whole thing is that it turns out it's about how money makes us feel mm. and how it makes our spouse feel. And this set of expectations that we have running under the surface and these worries and these fears and these beliefs about how money should work. We have to deal with all of that first. So, so Jesus said, Matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the one that resists a Dave Ramsey course, the one that resists, especially if I'm doing this in a group setting where we're going to talk about budgets and all of that. Yeah. When you see where my money goes, right, you're seeing my heart. You're seeing what's important to me, what I yeah. value, what I don't value. And it's a little bit like inviting you in to do my laundry, Many ways. It can feel very awkward. So sure. we we're doing your study because Kathy does put a lot of time into vetting studies and this one jumped out and she said, Is there any way you think we can get them here? And I said, Oh, absolutely, let's make it happen because we all are Proverbs four twenty three, it's a big verse in our church. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Everything you say and do flows mm-hmm. from your heart. Your spending, your saving, your debt, whether you've been to Ramsey or not, it flows from the Heart, And so we want to get into the heart and you found five factors and we were so effective in the first service with these five factors. We only got to two. Uh, (laughs) So uh, this is like a a radio interview almost, but let's jump right into the first one. The first most, not, is it not the most important factor? Well, it's certainly the most foundational. It leads to the most kind of day-to-day conflicts, etc. Okay. So the, the first is we don't realize that we're not valuing what our spouse is valuing. It, it is a crazy thought to sort of go, wait a minute, my, my spouse is a different human being than I am. Of course, they're going to care about something different than I care about when it comes to anything. And money is a perfect example of this. And the weird thing about the way our brains work on these things is that the way we feel, and particularly about money, it feels so right. 
it feels natural, like the law of gravity. It's just the way it, it, it should work. It's just work. the way the universe operates. <laughs> and you're choosing, Shanti, to operate outside of the rules of the universe. <laughs> and, and that's what my thinking was on a lot Who's the of spender? This. Who's the saver? She's I'm more, more the spender. spender. Okay. And I'm, yeah. Who's the spenders? Come on. You can raise your hands. Participate. Who, who are our savers? Now watch this. They're really into it. How many of you say, we will have no fun until we have all the money in the bank we need for retirement? <laughs> this wife is trying to raise her husband's hands. No, go have some fun. <laughs> so, so, and, 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 the interesting thing on that is that the research, there was not a gender base for yeah. spenders or savers. It That's was 50-50. I yeah. would have thought there would have yeah. been. Yeah. No. It's a stereotype, but it's actually well, not true. One of the interesting things that um, we came across in the research was I was listening to a podcast um, during the research, and Dr. Kurt Thompson, I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with Dr. Kurt Thompson. He was at the Yip Gathering this year. He, he's yeah. a psychiatrist with a specialty in neuro science. So he knows, he studies how the brain operates. And he said that a lot of people, if you ask them how they come to a certain conclusion or a decision, they will say, I just made my decision based on what makes sense. (laughs) And he said, I can tell you how the brain operates, and that is not how it operates. Instead, what is actually happening is we make sense of what feels right. And so all of these thoughts that I had on how money should be handled felt right to me, and I used my logical reasoning to back that up. And therefore, Shanti was not using her logical reasoning because it <laughs> clashed with what I thought. We actually did this on the survey, and we actually asked the people on the survey, um, how many of you feel like if your spouse would just be logical. They would clearly come to my decision, right? And it was more than two-thirds. I can't remember the number was, but it was like close to 70% of people were like, well, of course. Like if my spouse would just be logical, they think, would come to the and same And think decision. about the, the way that I'm thinking about it and, and understand the facts. And here's the reality. This is, and this is going to, am I allowed to step on toes yeah, here? Yeah, is that okay? They encourage it. Okay. <laughs> I'm probably going to step on some toes here, and and I'll warn you in advance, it's probably the toes of the people who are more the savers, Mm. just for a minute. Oh, so she's going to talk to Jeff, but through you. You, exactly. Thank you, Ted. I know exactly what's going on. You know what's happening, yes. (laughs) But, but But I'll... I'll be sort of blunt about one of the things that we've seen in the research is that when you have a different person who has a different things that they care about. Like, I'll give you a silly example. Is it, if you had 100 objective people, would you, and somebody says, and let's just say Joe says, well, I save up all year long so we can have a great vacation once a year. Mm. And Susie says, well, but I actually think our money should go to having nice date nights every two weeks. So we have like a connection and we have a chance to catch up, not spending all that money on one vacation. Like this way we get it all year long. If you had a hundred objective people looking at those two things, no one would be able to say what's objectively right and wrong. It's just different. And that, unless you're talking about something like a gambling addiction, which you'd have a hundred objective people say it's wrong, the vast majority of what's going on between us 
is that there isn't one right or wrong. There's no one obvious, like that's the biblical way of doing it. And so, for example, if you have a common value difference, spender saver, every, it, almost every couple has this to one degree or another, even with two savers, you have somebody who's more comfortable spending money. And so the savers are like, well, this is just objectively right. But the spenders have been thinking in our hearts without being able to articulate it. Well, but how can it be objectively biblically right? Like, you know, God says he gives good gifts to his children that he wants us to enjoy now, Mm. not just 40 years from now when we retire. Or what about the guy who saved up all of his money in barns and never got to enjoy it? Mm. For every story about you've got to count the cost of building the tower, there's also the, but God is a good God who wants his kids to have good things too. And you've got the best story from newlyweds in New York oh, gosh. on this. It's, Values, I mean, I'm still, differences. I'm still hurting after hearing this in the first service. <laughs> so I'll make it quick. So no, don't. This is too good of a story. <laughs> when we graduated from graduate school, we had $135,000 of debt. And the um, Dave Ramsey people are going, <gasps> <gasps> yes. It's a very expensive graduate school program. I, I took a job at a large law firm in, in Manhattan. Shanti worked on Wall Street. We both worked a lot of hours, though mine were crazier. We so, were both trying to pay off the debt. That's what my goal was. Hack away at this debt. Get it done. Get it off the balance sheet. So I rarely saw Shanti. Except Great newlyweds years. So, awesome. so during that time, we would try to schedule a dinner twice a week where we would have dinner together, and then I would go back to the office hmm. after dinner. And the dinners didn't always go the way I know Shanti had hoped they would go because it started out a little wrong when the waiter would come and ask, what can I get you? And Shanti would say, and I would order, you know, a glass of water. That's what you order when you're out to eat. And Shanti would say, I'll have a Diet Coke. And I thought, dang, that's four bucks right there. She doesn't care about our debt. And, and she doesn't know any of this stuff is going on, but my mood is like going down in this connecting dinner type thing. And then, you know, I'd kind of rally as we'd get talking, but just before the, the meal ended, the waiter comes back around and says, can I get you anything else? To which she'd say, can I get a refill? And New York does not give free refills. So I'm like, that's eight or nine bucks right there on stupid Diet Coke. <laughs> She clearly doesn't care about me. So at that point, the train left the rails. Dinner finishes, and I walk sullen back to the office. She's not knowing why I'm in such a bad mood, but I'm now back at the office thinking, she's careless with our money. She doesn't care how much I'm having to work. I'm here at 11 o'clock at night. She is. She she can drink Diet Coke. Exactly. And honestly, it wasn't until years later later that we kind of pieced together what was going on, which was... Well, this is a classic example of a values difference. And I had said this when we got married, but I'm not sure he kind of grasped how big of a deal it was. Or (laughs) listened. Well, I wasn't going to say that from the stage. Did he groan when you would order Diet Coke? Like, oh. Well, no, because I didn't know this was going on. Like, I just didn't realize. And the reason, and this, otherwise we would have talked about it a lot earlier, right? 
But what, what he had sort of forgotten, I guess, is that I know I'm weird, okay? I, for some reason, I'm one of those people that doesn't like the taste of water. Like, water just tastes bad to me. Okay, thank you. There are a few people who are my people. Thank you. I had four of you come up to me in the book line after the first service and said, I don't like water either. I'm like, yes. I didn't realize this was an it's issue. a hidden group of people. Um, but for me... If I don't have something with a meal, I just don't enjoy it. I'd rather, honestly, I would rather not go out. And I'd rather just, you know, have dinner at home or whatever and be able to have my Diet Coke or an iced tea or something. And, and that would be fine to not go out and to do that instead. But if I'm going to go out to a restaurant, I want that drink. And, and so he just didn't know any of that was going on. Because, again, this is one of those things that we just don't realize that, I, again, I am valuing something different than have he you, is have valuing. Have you two done Dave Ramsey course together? Um, y- you know, that's a great question, <laughs> Ted. You would enjoy a Dave Ramsey oh, I course. I think so. Oh, actually, in 2006, the church that we were attending actually offered it. And I went to Shanti. I said, you know, they're offering Financial Peace University at the church. We need to go. We should go. You know, gosh, I've got so many speaking engagements. I am traveling so much. So we missed 2006. But in 2007, they offered it again. And I said, hey, we've got a second chance. You know, I'm going to miss so many Thursdays. I'm going to be on the road. I just, it's just not going to work. 2008, again, this time I went alone. (laughs) And and, the fact of the matter was, I mean, there was a bit of resentment that I was going alone. And it wasn't until we were actually involved in the research of this that I finally kind of pieced together what was going on. It wasn't that Shanti was traveling so much. It was she knows me, and I'm kind of an all-or-nothing kind of guy. You were packing on Thursday night. You weren't, you weren't leaving until Friday morning. Yes. I know how it works. So, so what happens is she's thinking, if I go with Jeff to Dave Ramsey, that's going to be like tossing gasoline on a fire because he's going to say, Oh, we've got these goals, and we are going to march toward these I mean, goals. Look how his enthusiasm goes exactly. up just and, I mean. and, and it's exciting. <laughs> can I can I tell on you? Can I tell? There might have actually been a moment where he said, "You know what we need to do? We need to go to Costco, and and we need to buy six months of franks and beans." And we'll just eat franks and beans for six months. Think how months. much that would save. Think how much we can save. You said that or you thought that? No, he actually said that. Oh. <laughs> I might not have said franks and beans, but it was it was. A, Our Costco just opened last week <laughs> in Springfield. It was definitely something that we could eat for under a buck a night. Is he not a bucket of sunshine <laughs> over here to live? And so, and so for me, and I would never have been able to articulate this, all right? But until we did the research and we finally were realizing there's all this stuff under the surface, and I would not have been able to articulate the fact that doing Dave Ramsey with this man terrified me because I was thinking, what's going to happen is he's going to have his, we're going to march towards this goal and this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, I want to be able to, like, have fun with the kids and go to a movie every now and then. And, like, if I do this, 
we're not going to be able to do that. And so it's easier for me just to not go. The cost is of popcorn that... and Diet Coke at a movie has got to drive you insane. And th- that's, an, that's an ongoing challenge, Ted. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm dead serious. We had this conversation three weeks ago. Yeah, we did. Um, and, but can you understand, this is, this is the starting point for every person in here and everybody mm. at one of your venues and watching at home is that it's these are little things mm. that are just common day-to-day stuff that gets in the way because we don't recognize what's going on under the surface in our own hearts and our spouses. And so that leads you to another factor, which is the fear. Yeah, the second factor. Yeah, yeah, because you just said, I want to be able to go out with the kids. How does that relate to your fear around money? So the second factor um, that we found is under the surface is that we have too often, not, not 100% of the time, but most of the time, spouses tend to have two different fears that are kind of irrational, knee-jerk fears going on. And the easiest way of describing this is like... Um, is there anybody in the room who's like me who's like afraid of heights, which is stupid, but I'm afraid of heights? Okay. So you know that fear if you're afraid of heights and you're like standing on the edge of a high bridge or standing on the edge of a cliff, it just feels like it's somehow going to suck if, you over and you're going to die. Like it's Even if there's a guardrail yeah, around. Yeah, it still feels this irrational sense of danger. And so you try to back away from the edge, whatever that means to make you feel better. Well, it turns out when it comes to money and the sort of the circumstances around money and marriage, we tend to have two different cliffs that we see Hmm. as being the thing that we're scared of. And it turns out statistically that it actually tends to be fairly gender correlated. Now, it's not 100%, but we found about 75% of men, about 75% of women tend to be in these categories. And so for the men, the cliff, so to speak, is this feeling like, am I going to be able to provide for the family? Mm. Like this sense of, I may not be enough to keep my family from being pulled over that edge to, you know, for our financial future. And I'm winking at my wife right now. She okay. knows that's well, right. you know. I live on that edge all the time. All the time. And, and so the guy tries to back away from the edge. And maybe works a bunch of hours, or he tries to um, get in a lot of overtime. Say yes or to every opportunity. Say, yeah. say yes to every opportunity, to etc. For a woman, women actually are statistically just as likely to be worried about money. Like we said, there's no gender difference between suspenders and savers, for example. And yet, it's not a cliff fear of, am I going to be able to provide? Usually, unless they're like a single mom. And instead, the cliff, statistically for women, isn't are we financially okay, but are we okay? Mm. Are the kids feeling loved? Are we close? Are we okay in our relationship? And if that's feeling at risk, she tries to back away from that edge and do things to bring closeness. And so you can kind of see that what tends to happen, and and I'll tell you about a a wife of a police officer that I interviewed right during um, the riots last year. And her husband was working every conceivable overtime hour that he could possibly get. And he hadn't seen her, their son, much in weeks and weeks. 
And so she was feeling really distant, really worried. He's all stressed all the time, as you can imagine, yeah. for a police officer. Sure. Um, stressed all the time. And so she's like, okay, so here's what we need to do. You know, you're gone so much, we don't see you. How about I take little Johnny and we meet you at the station for dinner a few nights of w- a week? Like, we'll go out to find a cafe nearby. Well, what's just happened? She's trying to stay away from her cliff edge by togetherness stuff, which means spending money, which pulls him towards his cliff edge, which makes him feel like I have to work more hours, Mm -hmm. which makes her feel more distant. And so you can see that often my attempt to try to solve my fear can make his fear worse and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the other thing is what we assume that the other person is buying by either saving or spending is oftentimes something different than what we think. So in our case, um, when our kids are now 21 and 18 18. years old, when they were little bitty, we would have this thing happen. You know, parents of kids, you know, you're in bed at night and all of a sudden you hear that young person, little person kind of come into the bedroom. And in our case, our daughter or son would say, Mom, (laughs) my, my throat's kind of sore. My throat hurts, and they seem so miserable. And so Shanti would immediately jump into the mode of, we've got to take them tomorrow, I've got to take them tomorrow, to go get a strep test. Because, what are you thinking? Because, you know, what happens immediately, and some of you out there can get this, is immediately your brain turns on to, oh my gosh, if they have, first of all, they look miserable, they need to see the doctor, but also, if they have strep, they can't go to school. And if they can't go to school, then they're going to be home for days. And I have all these meetings and reports that I have to, okay, I need to find a babysitter and I may need to tell somebody I'm going to be late. I mean, it's like, you know, ladies, all the windows on the computer open up and you're like, bing, 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 like all these things that have to happen. And so for me, taking them, taking them, to, them the to get them to the doctor was and for obvious. me, we have been self-employed for the last 20 years. We run our own ministry. So we have, we don't have corporate insurance. We have kind of sketchy insurance, <laughs> which means that we got a high deductible and pretty much everything is paid out of pocket. Yeah. So I'm laying there going, oh, that's going to be 100, 150 bucks for the office visit. And eight of the last 10 times, the stress test was negative. Yeah. So I would tell Shanti, I'd say, look, Pioneer children didn't run <laughs> off to the doctor every time they had a sore throat. How often do I use that word pioneer? And they died. And they- <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a good comeback for that one. So I moved on. <laughs> and, and here's what would happen. The next day, Shanti would take the kids to the pediatrician, strep test administered, strep test negative. Everybody knew and negative. And I gotta tell you, I was irritated. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because I felt like we just wasted money. And it wasn't that I would have been super happy if they would have head strapped. Because then we would have gotten our money's worth. Instead, here's what I was thinking. I knew that the technical problem wasn't going to be solved by spending money. And the technical problem wasn't addressed. Mm. Here's the thing. Shanti wasn't after the technical problem. Mm. She was buying something much different than I thought. I was buying peace of mind. And every woman in the room, I think, just nodded, I'm gonna ask, actually. We're going to do our own research right now. How many of you are like Jeff? Men or women? 
You could right. be a woman. Be like How many that. of you are like Shanti? Okay. There's a lot of people who are keeping their How hands firmly down. How many of you are keeping your hands down because you don't want to talk about it? <laughs> it's awesome. Right, see, I got them to raise their hand back there. Yeah. The, the key here that is so crucial, so absolutely vital, is to recognize this stuff is going on under the surface. We don't see it. We don't understand it ourselves. We don't understand it in our spouse. And it's keeping us from really being one in our marriage because we're trying to just, for a lot of us, only 19% of couples have a written working budget. Only 19%. And the, one of the reasons is we can't come together around it because we don't know this stuff. And it, it's keeping us from connection and intimacy and togetherness. And it's absolutely essential to be able to go, okay, if God wants us to be one in our marriage, if this is what he's called us to, it means understanding this really fundamental hmm. key heart stuff under the surface. And do men and women have, because I, I know in our marriage, we have a different definition of the word emergency from our emergency <laughs> fund. Does anybody... Is oh, there we've a heard that many times. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So there's a difference in... And I would say your strep test goes with that. So Jesus said in Matthew six twenty four, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think what I love about your study more than anything is it puts money in its proper place and deals with the more important thing, yeah. our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Yeah. In the study, you're never going to hear us talk about budgeting. Now, there, because we did it with Thrivent, yeah. there, is a, there are some practical things that they do in the middle after you kind of learn the togetherness conversation, that yeah. intimacy piece, um, which I think is important yeah. um, as well, is to be able to operationalize some of it. Because what we did find was in, in the research that having that emergency fund or that that margin mm-hmm. actually improved the relationship because when there was an emergency, you weren't as thrown by it because you didn't, you weren't going to have to put it all on credit. You know, you had the margin to address it. Yeah. It was interesting that the stuff that the money management people try to work on of building emergency savings, building margin, that's actually is protective of the marriage. It yeah. does help increase intimacy. Well, this has been so – has this been valuable today uh, in the conversation? And here's why it's important. We want you to have the conversation with each other in your family, in your marriages. Uh, but we also want to be able to have the conversation as a church because as we have turned our hearts towards the nations of the earth, I mean we want to be givers, good stewards. And we know the giving conversation in families yeah. is a very – I hear it all the time. You, you have a, a spender and a saver. You have a giver and ones that's like, it doesn't make sense for us to give or tithe right now when we've got yeah. this going on. And so next week we're going to talk about stewardship. We're going to talk about focusing on our relationship with God and money and, and how we cannot serve both God and money. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send Jeff and Shanti out to the book table. We hope you participate. This is a featured study for us as a church uh, this year. Uh, this this fall. I want to encourage you to be a part of it here on campus and growth gatherings, but also some of you may be visiting and you may just be passing through. I do encourage you um, as a couple to go through this. Uh, the whole bundled book and the two workbooks are 25 bucks. They'll be back there um, at the end of the service right here in a moment. And I uh, want to encourage you to be a part of it. 
the, the team here at the church has put a lot into this. Leaders have already been going through this and preparing for it. And so just encourage you to begin that conversation. Would you help me thank Jeff and Shanti one more time? I'm going to send you out and say thank you. Please stop by back there, right outside the gathering place. Uh, They'll be there uh, to meet you, and I hope you stop by and say hi. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for uh, just getting to the heart. Uh, We always want to be a church that is not about behavior modification, but is about the heart, and we know um, you change the heart. If we're among the living, we have hope. So if this is a difficult subject for some, uh, that this would be an opportunity for them to grow closer to you and to each other. Uh, For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in their heart that he's been raised from the dead, uh, that they would be saved. And uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said...